Ryan Tapel giving prayers to Andy. I hope. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not all. I'm not all. Give out. Give out. We need to give out. We have to find solutions. The hard yards. Passionate about sport. Go to the short side. Oh, it's I don't think we met before, but I'm the referee on this field, not you. Hi Rob, Zeeb's here. Just want to discuss the captaincy next. He's calling. Oh, and Ringrose comes through. Oh, that is brilliant from Ringrose. Ringrose is going here. What a score! This is the Hard Yards. I'm Andy McGeady. There's a great show lined up for you today. I have Stephen Ferris and Pat McCarry in studio and Roland O'Gara on the phone from Paris. And we have an interview with performance psychology consultant Jerry Hussey coming up later on. First, uh, Stevie, your bottle of book fast. The tiniest oh, bottle of book fast in the world. Over yeah, well, it has to be under 100 mils to get onto the plane. So, yeah, yeah I needed a little uh, need a little hit first thing in the morning before <laughs> travelling to Norway. So, uh, good yeah. trip. <laughs> yeah, it was a good trip. Yeah. Half uh, oh, a small bottle of Buckfast, bottle of Bailey's, and half a bottle of Jamesons before I made the before I made Oslo. So it was uh, it was good crack. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not I'm not uh, saying that unresponsible drinking is uh, something that you should be doing, but uh, yeah, it was it was uh, it was the boys I was with. They're to blame. Yeah, everyone else who fault. Uh, yeah, Lurgan Champagne. I Lurgan haven't heard Champagne. that one in a while. Have you heard that? No, no I, I used to live for the lad from with the direction. And I'm very familiar with it, but I haven't heard it in about ten years. <laughs> <laughs> I said, did I say unresponsible? Is not irresponsible? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's too early in the morning, Andy. The uh, Raj, uh, we'll stay in football for a minute. You, uh, you had a good time watching the Ireland game. I don't know about a good time. It was. Um <laughs> Jeez, it was, I was gripped to it though. I kind of. Um, you were gripped to your Twitter as well, Rod. <laughs> I couldn't keep up with it. Yeah, it was kind of. Um, I had three texts over 90 minutes, guys, or three tweets over 90 <laughs> minutes. That's good going for me, isn't it? <laughs> Partaking. <it's> just yeah. <laughs> giving something back. Um, no, I just think um, it was uh, a great occasion again for Irish sports. It does. Um, I don't watch soccer that often. I must admit, but um, I'm, I was gripped by um, by Monday night. I just thought it was um, all the values you associate in Irish people or sports people uh, came out. You know, I think uh, Wales were the better footballers for me, no doubt about it. But passion, heart, attitude, will to win, all came from the boys in green. So it was brilliant to watch. Yeah, it was good once we won. If we hadn't won, Jesus, it'd have been. Well, yeah, even before that, Andy, I think even at one nil, it was kind of because I was in uh, Stade de France for one of the Euros, um, and Ireland scored against Sweden, and then just completely sat back. I don't know much about soccer tactics, but I know a bit about tactics, and I just think that um, they scored and just invited Sweden into the game, and it just looked like what has gone on. You know what I mean? A complete release of pressure, and you were just hoping. Uh, that wasn't going to happen against Wales but they did sit back but they managed to their scramble defence was incredible and their willingness to kick the ball into the stand was quite good you know but you <laughs> couldn't do that I suppose on, on one-off occasions Gary Owens for the last 15 <laughs> minutes perfect <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. Um, we have a new coach finally mm. finally in Munster named confirmed uh, Mr. Van Gran is the man after uh, months now at this stage of speculation uh, Pat he's expected to join in November subject to visa yeah it seems like he's going to come over um, almost as, as soon as he can get, uh, as he can and um, the rugby championship is just over but he's going to get um, get over to Limerick as soon as he can and, and it looks like he's just going to start gradually taking the duties probably week by week off Razzy Erasmus and it sounds like Erasmus could even be out the door before the end of the year Like so maybe maybe when all the November internationals are going on he can uh, you know that'll be a big chance for him to kind of really get his hands on the team you know during you know those kind of pro 14 games that are on during then but um, yeah interesting because I think Dave Vessels was the first guy linked to the job and um Van Gran, nobody kind of had had heard of until. Um, they okay, so, so give us that part of history mm. for people because he isn't a guy who's a, who's been a head coach. Yeah, um, Johan Van Gran, who is Johan Van Gran? Yeah, well, he's the just rugby all his life. Um, son of the uh, the Bulls CEO, I think it's Baron Van, uh, Van Gran, and I'm probably pronouncing that horrendously <laughs> to all our African listeners. But uh, yeah, so he rugby all his life. Um, 
played a little bit, um, you know, but not not to a really high level. I think he, he says that he came across uh, Schalke Brits and uh, and Jan de Villiers at under twenty one level, and he just knew from that game that he was never going to be a Springbok. He said, like he played a semi final against them, and he said, I had better concentrate on the coaching after this. So, uh, got into video analysis, and um, Heineken Meyer then came on and, and took him on board during the second spell at the Bulls. Um, and then worked so well with Meyer that um, came on on board with the Springboks 2012, and then gradually again he just started impressing himself um, upon the uh, Meyer and the, the coaching staff that much that he became forwards coach. Um, by the time they got to the 2015 World Cup, um, he was looking after a lot of their attack as well. So, uh, and they got to the semis that year. I think they got third place in that. That so he kind of. Um, his reputation was growing and growing apparently gets on great with a lot of the players groomsmen for five of, five of the players weddings so uh, well in with them in that, in that regard and uh really good friends uh, with Morna Stane and stuff so um, and then then after the, the World Cup when uh, Kutsia came in Alistair Kutsia he was kept on then as uh, you know as the forwards coach there as well so he was the only coach that lasted on from that era so um, you know well regarded and he actually interviewed for the uh, the Bulls job I think it was the, the their kind of director of rugby job there earlier in the summer so uh, didn't get it John Mitchell got it so maybe the ambitions to kind of spread his wings were shown a little bit he'd been linked with the Bath job lately last season as well so uh, when the big job came up he's taken it and um, it'll probably make it a little bit easier for him with the Munster lads that Erasmus is there mm. and he almost is seen as the natural successor to him or the hand-picked almost to, to succeed him so if he had it came in on his own it might have been tough for him but uh, big ask for him big step up at a big club big it, pressure as well it is good work good potted history that's good because for <laughs> ignorant people like me do you know the Wikipedia page for Johan van Graan was created yesterday <laughs> right and I looked up the history there was none before that um, Raj uh, this is the new monster head man is a man with no um, no head man experience um, he's a young coach as well uh, is that something you could um, maybe relate to yeah I think it's um, interesting in, in, in that regard I think they're putting big emphasis on uh, Jerry and Felix I think mm. so that was probably important I think whoever they were getting I think they wanted roles for these guys and major roles because I think they're really keen to develop them because they have personalities for coaching so I'd say that it's something to do with. I didn't know anything about um, uh, Johan and um, it was a great summary from Pat there you know so um, thank you it's uh, it is uh, interesting. I, the one thing I would say, it's a massive club. It's a great club, and I think um, you know what I mean. There are people who know their rugby inside out there, so um, they need one of the best coaches. And just because I suppose he hasn't got a big name, it doesn't mean uh, it means absolutely nothing. You have to wait and see. The guy could be excellent, or he may not be excellent. Um, and you have to remember, it'll be a different rugby. He'd be used to too. South African rugby is a little bit similar. I suppose to uh, Munster rugby and the emphasis being on a lot of I suppose dominant forward play so um, yeah kind of from a distance you'd be watching with interest obviously if you if you uh, care about the club hmm. um, Stevie for the players now the mid the mid-season change in coaching no matter what preparation they've tried to do here uh, Rod just talked about Jerry Flannery and Felix Jones they've been kind of moved up a bit in terms of their responsibilities even from the start of the season because they knew this transition had to happen but if you've got to change the head coach, what is that like for for a player when you go through that? Um, yeah, it can be difficult. Obviously, it happened to me a few times throughout my career with uh, different coaches being let go, and um, it was more so at the end of the season. Mm. But I think I think that he's coming over early. He's able to kind of just come to training sessions, kind of probably see a, a bit like Rods there in the summer tour, kind of assess how the trainings go on, kind of look at players, their strengths or weaknesses, what he thinks the team might need to work on, um, and just kind of just kind of step into the environment and get used to it, instead of just coming straight in, stamping his authority, this is the way it's going to be, I'm making all these changes, just kind of observe everything. Um, and I think it's a great thing, that he, as Pat mentioned, uh, that he's going to be over a couple of months earlier than everybody kind of expected, and, and, and then he can kind of have a good look See what see what the crack is, and then take it from there. When he actually takes over the head role, hmm. I wonder how long they'll keep on to Razzie. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully it's at the end of the year. Hopefully, it's they squeeze every last day out of him because yeah. uh, 
it seems like he's a great man manager and um, just like he's great with the technical side of things and relating to players but it'd be great to kind of not you know burden him with too many media duties as well and that side of things like so if Razzie could still be the face and then let this lad work away in the background for a couple of months it'd be it'd be perfect and of course they can always have a word with immigration to sort of say listen don't don't give him the visa yet we yeah. still <laughs> a bit more time you take this like the faceless bureaucrat take the flack and, yeah. until he gets there yeah. so Raj talked about this being look it's for any player coming in from outside the Irish bubble outside the Munster world this is a big club with big expectations um you were talking to uh, to someone about this. Yeah, I, I was just doing a you know a little bit of uh, research on, on Johan there yesterday, and um, just spoke to a South African journalist, and then had a word with uh, Jan de Villiers, who Springbok captain under under him and uh, former Munster player as well. And he, he, I was talking to Jan yesterday, and he said that. Um, you know he's well aware of the history of Munster like the fact that he mentioned uh, you know Munster 1879 and 138 years of this history this is Grand. yeah like in, yeah, in his it, thing it's, it's like a, so read that out read that out now and I'll put it in the press release <laughs> but it's a thing that it's like um, it's no mistake to kind of see that he's talking about the history already but uh, Jan was kind of saying he had given him a call yesterday and he said he was lucky to get through because uh, Johan said his phone kind of blew up from all over the world people were getting in touch with him and it was only then like he knew it was a big task but he was like, "Oh my God, this is a this is a big job," and um, you know he's getting messages from Australia, all over South Africa, parts of Europe, from players and former players and stuff. So, um, yeah, he knows about the pressure and and he knows what he's kind of stepping into. So, um, as I said, it'd be great if he got those first couple of you know couple of months to kind of bed in. But the uh, Villiers is again a uh, big big fan of his and thinks that he could really make a difference here as well. Like so, uh, hopefully he gets in and um, you know once they're at they're, they're in a good good place at the moment. So hopefully he can kind of kick that on a little bit further. But I still wouldn't mind if Munster still have a couple of jobs that are vacant because, you know, Anthony Foley's job never got replaced. And now all of a sudden he's head coach. There's still no director of rugby, which they brought in. So does somebody come in above that again, like Leinster doing, and and have Van Grand working in the background while you have a guy who's the face of Munster as well. So it'd be interesting to see if they bring anyone else in. Yeah, the Leinster model was slightly different. They've brought in the more experienced coach. Mm. to work within the same structure and sort yeah, of say right I'll way. get on with the coach and you get on with the, the other stuff that I can't be bothered with <laughs> but you're right it will be safe to see if they leave it like this or if there is room for another another face in there we'll see how that moves on um, I think Roger would be fairly happy that we could stop asking him about the Munster head coaching job now <laughs> <laughs> um, no, honestly I think it's uh, I think it's really interesting too you know Pat is summing up well exactly like is your director of rugby coming in and mm. um you know, I'd say that is some position. Jan van Graan is a young man and, and probably limited experience in terms of coaching as well. So uh, I think uh, all the secure coaches are, would feel um, even secure if they had a really, really, I suppose, experienced figure over them, giving them great direction. Hmm. So, I, don't know, I don't know how it works. I don't see. know how it works over in in, in Racing Rods, but like at at Ulster, you've got Les Kiss, who's very much hands-on director of rugby, and then you you go straight across the water to Gloucester, and uh, coming from the lads, David Humphreys does very very little coaching, if any, and he's director of rugby. So you know, the the monster needs somebody that's going to come on and be hands-on, or do they need somebody that's going to come on and hire and fire players or? You know, look, look think, at the more yeah, commercial I don't think side. The director of rugby can be hands on. I just think that he's looking at the global vision and organising everything. And I think as his coach is firing to the best of their ability, I think you kind of whatever way you want to organise the organisation. But everyone is allocated, I suppose, their area, and then the director of rugby uh, decides whether these guys are performing or not. Hmm. It is another foreign coach another non-Irish coach in a fairly small pool of um, available coaching positions no matter if we call them director of rugby head coach I think we all know who the head man is in mm. each province um, we've, that, that's a discussion we can go into um, perhaps another day but it does lead us on to the influence of foreign players uh, so Jacob Stockdale um, who Mr Ferris has been trumpeting for a while now scored a hell of a try uh, last weekend against Connacht and after the game um, I know Sean Farrell in the 42 referenced this which was uh, the influence that he feels that someone like Charles Piotow has uh, around him that the, the lines the support lines that he knows he's going to be there because of his experience because he is an all black you know 
how important is the right foreign signing? What influence can they give a young player like a Stockdale? Well, I think you look at Ulster's uh, foreign signings over the last couple of years, it's chalk and cheese. You know, you have Marcel Kutsia, who's played four and a half games, five games mm. in, in nearly two years. And then you have Charles Piatai, who's been a sensation for Ulster rugby. But uh, I think there's a lot more to come from Charles. I think he's been he's been good this season, but he, he wasn't the player that he was at Wasps and he wasn't the player that he was um, in his first season at Ulster and I think come the European it's when the big the big guys stand up the key players stand out and, and really make game changing plays and I think last week in the local derby against Connacht we've seen what he's capable of and I think we'll see a lot more of that over the coming weeks um, but just having that experience uh, you know inside Jacob Stockdale Jacob Stockdale has, has got all the attributes to be uh, one of the best wingers in the world um, he's exactly what Joe Smith wants in a winger, he's good under the high ball he's tall, he's very very fast he's deceptively, deceptively fast um, I think, it, I'm not sure Pat, was it Matt Healy burnt on the on the outside, like completely roasted him on the outside and, and he's no slouch um, so yeah just to go back to your point, look Charles brings brings an awful lot um, uh, to, to the Ulster rugby team and if I was any team playing against Ulster I'd be kicking the ball out every time every time we were getting out of our exits because the last thing you want to do is give Charles Piatai time and space on the ball and, and let them counter attack especially with the form of Jacob Stockdale's in hmm. Raj the, um, there can be uh, disputes the way that the Irish system is set up there's a lot of control centrally over what foreign signing can play where oh yeah massive massive control yeah what, 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 are your th- what are your thoughts on it um no, I think that's the strength of the provinces. I think, um, you know, I mean, there shouldn't be average players really coming into the provinces, and sometimes it's hard to get all the signings right. But I think in the history of of uh, my playing days in Munster, there was some cracking signings, and some of them weren't the biggest of names. But uh, the research that went into them and finding out um, more about the person as opposed to the player before they were signed, I think that's absolutely crucial. And um, I think normally the provinces um, that's a massive area of strength of theirs Yeah, that, like I was actually saying like a lot of the provinces basically have to go to the RFU almost like a PowerPoint presentation and say this is why we want the guy this is what he's going to do for us and, and this is what he's going to bring and uh, like I always kind of think back to the Stephen Moore situation where he was eager to come over to Munster he wanted to come over Munster wanted him but they just their presentation must have been very good because they just got kicked out the door by the IRFU. They're like, listen, what's the point in bringing this lad in? He's hardly going to play play for us as well. So it might have been a marquee signing, but it didn't make any sense. So um, that's it. They really have to go and present their case to the IRFU, and um, that's why I was backlash over that part, as you remember. But yeah, like, yeah. Like as a neutral, it was the right call because. Sorry, Roger, you uh, saying you're neutral in relation to Monster here? <laughs> <laughs> but I think it was the it was the right decision considering um, the progress of Niall Scannell mm. and the fact that he'd have a fella gone away playing test games for Australia as well. It would have been it would have been you know what I mean sounded great and showed great ambition by Munster. But the reality of it is how often would he have played for Munster and how effective would he have been if he's hopping over and back to Australia four or five six times a year just it, I don't think it can work like that if you want to come over you have to be finished with test rugby I find it fascinating to see some of the guys who, who leave what, for want of a better term a legacy the guys who people are still talking about mm. the impact that they had on players on a dressing room on, on a culture you know Brad Thorne is the obvious local one here who was here in and out but left a legacy certainly transformed someone like Devin Toner's um, mm. all round game but players players and fans that they, they want to say and Paddy Wallace made a great point uh, a player's best ability is their availability so you know when you make a foreign signing you don't want to see him on the on the physio table week in week out you want to see yeah. him playing so when it when it comes to the when the guys are away on international duty these are the boys that really step up to the plate and that's when I can kind of look back and somebody like Johan Muller who came in and played week in week out and controlled the team he captained the team Brad Thorne uh, at times as well you know guys like Rio de Pukki played for, for Munster back in the day just um, like the, these guys they weren't in the top five players in the world but they performed week in week out for you and their durability was, was top notch and I think when you're making signings you got to make signings that 
are going to benefit the team not just on the one-off, once-off big games but the whole way throughout the season and the whole way throughout their contract and we've found out you know, in the last you know, couple of years with Ulster that a couple of signings that they've made even your guy um, uh, Bota who's, yeah, whose contract actually fell through hmm. at Ulster because he was just carrying so many injuries now Marcel Couture has obviously flown back to South Africa to see the surgeon uh, perform the initial um, operation so um, I thought it was a great point that Paddy Wallace, Paddy Wallace made was about uh, the, a player's best ability is their availability hmm. Raj, when you're um, you've talked about Topoki being a brilliant player beside you before, you've talked about um, Howlett being a tremendous person. Um, when you were playing, what foreign signings that were in that Munster setup had an impact on you and changed the way perhaps you thought about or went about the game? Um, I suppose the biggest one would have been Doug Howlett and the fact that. Um I, I know it's only with hindsight you appreciate what he was saying at the time I didn't appreciate it enough because I didn't drive it enough but about his I suppose his vision about how the game should be played you know I think uh, when you're so insular in your maybe thought process about um, what you believe is the right way of doing things and where you come from then someone challenges you to think differently about it you're reluctant at the start but then um the more you listen to him, the more his point becomes interesting. And um, explain explain what he was saying to do differently. Well, I just think he he knew basically like that we were really good at a direct game, but he also felt we had we needed the capacity to have um, a wide game. So, you know, I mean, a fifteen man game, I suppose, at the time. Um, wasn't um, wasn't our go-to game, but Doug felt that we should have the capacity, irrespective of weather conditions, to be able to pull it out whenever needed, and um, and he was right, you know, and he drove it like that, and it was. Um, I remember at the time in meetings he he'd pipe up and he'd say it, and um, it was just the power of the mob kind of just went back to what we felt was was maybe easier to do or what was better for us to do, but. Uh, when you think about it from outside now of where I am now um, he was 100% um, accurate in what he was saying just about and I think you keep me to adding strings to your ball about how you want to attack and how you want to change the picture for defences and just his um, his wording on, on how you should go about this was hugely interesting the foreign players we referred to earlier on the, the tight control that the IRFU have with the provinces mm. the premiership in England is different again where it's it's controlled by money there's salary cap exceptions so sign whoever you want as long as you know fits there um, France is a bit different again uh, and Leinster are going to be coming up against one of the, the big ones in Montpellier this weekend uh, Raj what's it like in that environment you know Montpellier <laughs> open checkbook there's millions and billions behind it um it's it's a little it's a different world. Leo Cullen referred to it this week. It's a different world than what uh, what the Irish provinces have to do. Um, yeah, and it's a new world, I think, for everyone to even people based in France because Montpellier are taking it to a whole new level. I think um, Altrad just has buckets and buckets and buckets of money that he's willing to spend, and um, I don't know how they're. Uh, able to stay within the, I suppose, the restrictions of the salary cap, but they they must be doing something. Um, but uh, you know, I mean, it, the game is just accelerating at an incredible rate over here, and you wonder when it's going to stop or where it's going to stop. Just in terms of, uh, you know, they find um, camera, isn't it? The the back row from mm-hmm. Toulouse, yeah. a twenty year old on, on an astronomical salary and. Just a general, I suppose, salary for players there is is, is humongous at the minute. Um, and um, Toulon are taking it on as well. You look at the quality of players Toulon now have signed in terms of the, the um, Parramatta Eels winger for those people who watch um, uh, rugby league. Um, I don't know how you pronounce the name. Um, it's a, a Rajiva or something, the Fijian winger. I have a look on YouTube at his moments and if this guy does what he does in a rugby league pitch in rugby union watch out because um, he's worth the entrance fee alone this guy is sensational then you've um, Satakawa he's the centre from the All Blacks do you remember him? 
Mm. He's joining Toulon. Then that'll team up with either Nanu or um, Bastard in midfield. You know, it's it's. Um, but is that is that you mentioned it just at the start of that? Is is that sustainable? We don't know where that will go because rugby's not football. The contracts aren't the same, you know. The TV behind it. Uh, Graham Simmons wrote I a great piece, actually, here. about oh, I, um, the. Um, I agree. With, I read that it was a brilliant article. Yeah, about the debt and the Premiership. Yeah, really. Yeah, but I think there's so much wealth and wealthy businessmen in France that are prepared to lose money. Then it is sustainable from their point of view because I think they make twenty million out of a billion business that they do. So mm. what's a twenty million loss to them? The, um, Fez, you, you've mentioned before about the importance of culture in a dressing room. Is that is that the place where perhaps the Irish teams can make up some of this gap? I mean, you look at the, the squads um, on the field at the Aviva Stadium last week. You had, what, 13, 13 or 14 out of the Leinster 15? Mm. We're all homegrown. Yeah, um, although it's very, very difficult to uh, to try and look after some of these players when you're playing against them, like I've been watching... Uh, a lot of a lot of the French rugby over the last um, the last number of weeks, and there are some absolute powerhouses. Watch obviously have a close eye on Montpellier, you know, Ruben Pinard nine, or including at ten, Andolo on the wing, you know, uh, Jimmy Nagusa who played for Ulster in the other wing. Uh, just so you know, powerful, powerful uh, teams and. If they're on full full song and Ulster, Leinster, and Munster are on full song, you know, a part of me thinks that you know they've just too much power to, mm. to overcome, and I don't, I don't think it matters how much cult, culture you have, how much belief you have. Um, sometimes, you know, a team just might have too much power and too much talent, and that's the kind of way the French the French um, club rugby has gone for me, um, and that's why I think the French international rugby has struggled of late. Um, but that's another talking point in itself, that's for sure. It is, yeah, because champions. There, I think you know. What I mean, that is exactly it. You can evolve the the values and culture and um, work rate you want, but sometimes, like, how do you stop Nadola? Like, if you were a, a scrum a, a fifteen rifle? meters in from, <laughs> from a touchline, right? I'm a defence coach, okay? You you have a scrum fifteen meters in from a touch uh, from the um, left hand touchline, which means you have a fifteen meter blindside on the left hand side. He plays left winger. Okay, so if you scrum down, you're 16 fellas tied into a scrum. You have a nine uh, who will track their nine, and then you have a 14 in front of Nadolo. Like, <laughs> one man cannot stop him. It's almost like Go in, have a look there now, and I'll, I'll, I'll welcome your suggestions to how you stop this guy. Tell, <laughs> tell your number eight. Rog, I, I totally agree with you, Rog. I've, I've been watching him, and not one, not two, three people <laughs> are just bouncing <laughs> off him. He, he's like 20, 21 stone or something, and absolutely rapid, powerful, and as you say, like he's just a, he's a game-changing player, and when you have somebody in your team like that, just give the ball to him, and, and he'll get you points, and we've seen that, and now Montpellier get beaten at the weekend by Stade Francais, but um, I think it's going to be a really, really tough fixture this weekend. Yeah. So, Roger, what, what's your advice to the right-winger, then, if you're, if you're coming <laughs> up against the double? Pull up sick during the week. Um, no, like, you have to, right, you have to try and um, Slow gang down, yeah. the best, you know? But like with that, then it's like I've seen footage of them. Like so, they put two. Then like because you have to really brace yourself for a massive collision when you're trying to even chop his legs. Then all of a sudden, it's the face that he has the capacity. He, like he kicks a goal for Fiji. So yeah, like this I, guy, I is, love that about him. Mm. Giant, you know, giant like, human kicking the ball over the bar. You know, so he can place it beautifully on on, on his left foot to just grub it down the wing because. And all of a sudden, like he has massive acceleration for his face. A twenty-one stone man with the acceleration he has, you're like kind of going, "Where does he get this from?" So, you know, that's, so that's it'll be interesting in terms of. Um, I don't think this weekend will be I, too interesting. I think the return game in Montpellier will be um, will be a massive test for Leinster. You know. Okay, well, it's going to be a tough job for for Leinster either way this weekend. Uh, Munster in France. Um, against Cast. Uh, the afternoon, yeah, um, yeah, because Cast haven't been going as well as they'd like to go in the top fourteen, and they have history in the European Cup. So I think um, first game, it's from everyone's point of view, you'd probably like to be going to Cast in round five or six if they were out of the competition, mm. you know. So 
they'll be up for it the band will be playing and uh, if there's a bit of sunshine down in the south of France it'll be uh, I'd say it'll be um, a hostile enough environment and depending on what form Cockett is in as Fez says that guy can change a game on his own and he's an exceptionally talented player so uh, it'll be a good game um, Ulster have uh, Wasps at home and Wasps are not in great shape haven't won for a month in the Premiership they've got a short turnaround they played last Sunday uh, yeah, yeah, they're giving out a bit that, aren't they? Yeah. They're yeah. not happy. Yeah. <coughs> they're not. They're not happy. But the, uh, Dead, they're uh, Cipriani, be, Beale, they've had a host yeah, of injuries. Yeah, yeah. that could be dangerous for Ulster. Like you know, that could be dangerous for them this Friday night. That's the only kind of worry for me is that Wasps <coughs> come out and say, "Right, boys, you know, if if we lose heavily here today." our seasons it's not that it's over but it's taken another huge dent all the talk this week in the press about it's a new competition it's a new start you know um, I, I think Ulster if you look back on, on previous records I don't think there's many teams that went up to up to Belfast on the opening night of, of, of a European weekend and got the, got the victory especially on a Friday night so for me Ulster are big favourites for, for this game um, but I would be wary uh, of a wasp kind of backlash because they are a bit of a wounded animal at the minute um, just waiting for a few things to click but when you take out somebody like Cipriani who um, destroyed Ulster in the pre-season game Les Kiss alluded to in his uh, uh Interviews this week that you know they just couldn't handle Cipriani taking the ball to the line and um, the defense couldn't read him at all and, and just having guys like that missing from your team just takes away so much of your attack and Rods probably knows that better than anybody so um, if I I know Wasps like to play this high pace you know keep the ball in play outwork the opposition score lots score more points than your opposition but for me you got to kick the ball out against Ulster you got to slow it down as much as possible you got to um, try and control the game in your own terms uh, because when Ulster get their tails up we all know how de- devastating they can be um, and they've a lot of match winners in that back line so if uh, if Ulster um, step it up up front give the boys a good platform which I believe they will do um, then I can only see one winner and that's Ulster You've, How do you think they're going to go this year? you got La Rochelle debutants in the competition yeah, La Rochelle. Roger would probably know more than this about me, or more <coughs> of this than me. But um, La Rochelle's pack is huge; like it is massive. And the slight concern about Ulster is that they struggled a little bit up front when it comes to the big heavy hitters. Even Connacht there, you know, yeah. with Finley Beelham at the weekend um, and Buckley in the scrum. You know they were under a lot of pressure, so that would be a, a concern for me mm. with La Rochelle. But again, um, a little bit of momentum—they they, they get off to a good start. Um, I don't know how Rods thinks about the La, La Rochelle. Will will they be up for this, Rods? We played them at the weekend, and you just said they're ma- they're um, they have massive men, massive. And your man has been an incredible signing. Talk about um, getting good, fun. Victor Vito, what a oh, player. Yep. Um, we we were lucky in the fact Brock James got injured his um his abductor so the the one man spiralling the ball in the world had to go <laughs> off the pitch so. <laughs> I I um, it was with a heavy heart that I let him off in, in, into the um into the stand because uh, he has uh, he makes spiralling look easy and it's great to see that people are still using that skill. La Rochelle um they are um, I don't know is it over 17 or 18 months in the top 14 they're unbeaten in in, uh, in, La Ro- in at home uh, it's a cracking atmosphere a new project massive local support obviously massive um, I think ambition in their project the new training centre great vibe around the town the whole rugby uh, players are the stars of the place so um, it's something that um, I think the locals have bought into and um, it'll be a tough place to go no doubt about it the only thing about it they have no experience in the Champions Cup which I think is a massive uh, disadvantage because Fez will tell you there's something special about the European games and it's it's only when you kind of I think live them or taste them after 60 minutes you know what I'm talking about because it's it's a really really um do or die atmosphere they've basically all of them have taken life of their own of cup finals and um, it'll be uh, it, it, I wouldn't be um, I wouldn't be fancying going to La Rochelle alright 
That was a little further down the track. Uh, yeah. The lads will be back later for your Twitter questions. But up next, we talk to performance psychologist Jerry Hussey. The Hard Yards, passionate about sport. Welcome back to The Hard Yards. Thanks for listening. We're delighted to be joined on the line today by performance psychologist and motivational speaker Jerry Hussey. Jerry, good morning. Good morning. How are you doing, lads? Good, Not nice. too bad at all. Um, so, this is a rugby show. You've done, you've, you've done a number of different things in sport with performance psychology, but you have been performance psychologist to Munster Rugby. Um, the one thing I'd ask you about is that I often hear talk about a sports psychologist. You use the word performance. Is that a deliberate distinction? Um, well, I, I think it is. I mean, for me, you know, training as a psychologist, uh, I did so because I was interested in the human mind um, and not just how the human mind can win in sport, but I suppose how the human mind can, can win in in life and by winning I mean you know having a balance of you know a stimulating work life uh, a balanced personal life you know a healthy internal image and uh, you know a, a nice deal of resilience and self-confidence so when you know challenges and, and life challenges do hit so I suppose that was my drive as a psychologist to try to understand you know what is it that makes the human mind or gives the human mind the ability to overcome adversity to believe in itself when when others mightn't um, and somehow have this ability to see opportunity rather than the, the than problem and and constantly be able to change and adapt and learn and grow uh, as they go through life. So so that's why I call myself a performance psychologist because some of my clients happen to be in sport and then some of them uh, have nothing to do with sport. Um, but every client that I work with is interested in growing and developing the human mind that allows them to be more successful in, in life and business and sport and, and of course in personal life. So a player comes to you, Jerry, I'm low in confidence. What's your starting point with that player? Well, for me, where everybody's about trying to build trust and respect first. So I think sometimes, you know, whether you're a coach or a psychologist, or sometimes we can be too quick to give a solution. So you know, what would you do for somebody who's low in self-confidence? Well, the first thing I do is I sit down and I listen to them, and I make sure there's a space for them to talk and to open up and to grow. Because it doesn't matter whether you're, you know, what type of psychology you use or what type of interventions, be they CBT or Gestalt psychology or any type of psychology. You know, 90% of the transformation is in the relationship. So the first to everything is before you start trying to give out answers or solutions of this is what you need to do or this is your 21 day hit of this that or the other you have to sit and build a relationship and make sure that person feels that you know they've been listened to they've been connected with that you really understand where they're coming so you know and then you start to look at whether this loss of self-confidence is something that's related to maybe you know a bad string of games maybe they're coming back after an injury and they haven't been at game tempo for quite a while or maybe the lack of self-confidence is actually an inner voice that pops into their head every now and again and sometimes you have to try and track it back to when you know is this something recent or has this been popping in and out for quite a while and very often it goes back to something in, in, in their childhood and uh you know, so you can, in every situation, you can look for the quick fix or you can look for the real fix. And, and me, I've always been more interested in the real fix than the quick fix. Um, so that, that's interesting you mentioned that because I think professional athletes, they have to be self-critical. When does self-criticism, and uh, by that I mean, you know, you've got video sessions, you've got the ability to say, okay, I need to deconstruct my own game to become a better player. But when can that become a problem if someone is already susceptible to being self-critical. Yeah. yeah, well, I think, you know, you, and, and you're exactly right, though. we constantly need to deconstruct our own game and, and sessions have gone to the point now where we deconstruct our own training session. Um, but, you know, and in life, that's it. So whether some of my clients, you know, in, in business world, and they're, you know, leading companies and they're constantly deconstructing. But the key thing is to deconstruct your performance, but de- don't deconstruct yourself. So when you're looking at a game, you can talk about, you know, you can talk about your exit speed, you can talk about your breakdowns, you can talk about your 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 handling, your kicking, your decision making. But all of those things are things that I do. They're not me. They're skills that I have or I don't have, but I can develop them, I can tweak them, I can enhance them. And I think that you need a real strong sense of identity that says, well, this is who I am. So my values are kindness, confidence, a good team player. I turn up 
every day for myself. And then this is what I do. But very often, particularly in rugby, because you know, with the with the professional modern era, sometimes kids are you know kind of cocooned from sixteen, seventeen. There's a world wrapped around them, and the whole world becomes rugby. And everybody knows them as the rugby player. Everybody talks to them about rugby, and, and suddenly, instead of having this kind of multi multi dimensional inner growth, or growth is all around the rugby. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's what all sports. So then, the more your identity is linked with what you do, is the more that deconstructing what you do deconstructs who you are. And for me, with all the athletes I've worked with, it's very, very important that you keep a balance between um, who I am and what I do. And that's not just in sport. Most people, you ask them, you know, tell me a little bit about yourself. They'll tell you what they work at, they'll tell you about their husband or their wife, they'll tell you about their children. But that's not actually who we are. That's what you have in life. And who I am is about what I believe in, what I don't believe in, what are my values, what are things I deeply, I deeply care about. So for that, with the athletes I work with all the way up, um, and I work with some quite you know, young athletes, it's about helping them find a sense of self that's constant, that's controllable, where I know my values and I live those values. And I know that on any given week I'm being selected or deselected because of what's happening on the pitch. But more importantly, and I might even get to control that because that's in the hands of the coaches, but what I do get to control is how I turn up at training every day, how I speak to my teammates, and more importantly, how I speak to myself. My values are present in the way I prepare, in the way I turn up, in the way I take feedback, in the way I connect with my, my teammates. People know who I am. And as long as people know who I am, I don't mind them commenting on what I do. There was a lovely piece by Kieran Shannon, um, an interview we did with Alan Quinlan a number of years ago. And Alan um, talked about the work that, that, that you did with him. Um, and again, it was about talking and the words quoted were, were talking gently, talking nicely, being good to himself, yeah. repeating affirmations. Is that something which you would do with, with players as a matter of course? Absolutely, because... Um, as a psychologist, uh, what I fundamentally believe is that the relationship you have with your inner self will determine a lot of the relationships we have with other people. So, for instance, um, if I have a relationship where I'm very critical of myself, I'm very judgmental, I'm going to bring that into my other relationship. If I demand extraordinary high standards of myself all the time, I, I demand that of everybody else around me. If I find it hard to forgive myself, I find it hard to forgive somebody else. And the problem with that is we can push ourselves uh, to berserk, trying to find a standard that actually makes us feel okay inside. And the problem with that is if there's a lack or what we call a hole in the soul, then no amount of medals or no amount of cups or no amount of food or no amount of external affirmation can fill that hole because once an internal void is present, the only way that can be filled is from inside out. So for me, when you look in the mirror, you should absolutely see somebody that you're proud of. You should see someone that you care deeply about. You should see someone that you're willing to stand up and fight for. And you should see someone that you you want to grow and develop as much as you would anybody else. So think about if you were coaching a young 8-, 10-year-old and he made a mistake, what would you say to him? If you saw him in the gym and things just weren't going well for him, what would you say to him? And you'd say kind things to him, you'd support him, you'd encourage him, you'd tell him, Keep, keep moving forward and yet sometimes we can't extend the same courtesy to ourselves we're, we're too far too critical and very often not just in sport but we speak to ourselves in a way that we wouldn't speak to anybody else we demand standards of ourselves that we wouldn't demand of anybody else and when we make a mistake we're far too critical in fact we're more critical on ourselves than we are on anybody else so for me if I want a really healthy vibrant uh, passionate relationship with other people I have to create that relationship with myself first and then when I have it with myself and it's, it's in abundance in myself I can extend it into all other relationships around me So a team or a setup or an organisation identifies you this might be boxing, it might be football, it might be rugby um, the manager or someone brings you in what, when you talk to him what does he expect, what does he or she expect from you? Um yeah, well, I think, I mean, depending on if they know me or... So if the manager has seen or, or experienced me working with a team, he knows I go a lot deeper than maybe other people would. 
and far less interested in standing in front of a team talking about pride and identity and, and goal setting and I'm far more interested in sitting with players and, and talking about building internal self-belief building an inner um, well of resilience building kindness and compassion building humanity among the squad and building spirituality I think that's probably the two words that I've become known for humanity and spirituality and when I talk about spirituality it's not always on a religious thing but what is the spirit that binds us together what are the things that we would be willing to do for each other and ultimately the great question is what are you willing to do for the people that you, you love we all know that deep down we do anything for the people we love and so the question sometimes is how how deeply do we love each other secondly how deeply do we de- how deeply do we care for each other and for me so when I'm in a rugby or a boxing dressing room or I'm doing a, you know, a session with a team they're usually sitting around in a circle they usually have their shoes off it's usually calm and composed but I'm asking some really powerful important questions and I've sat in teams where I've challenged people you know and as psychologists I suppose the only skill you have is the confidence to say what you see so you're telling me we're really connected here you're telling me that you deeply care for each other but here's the behaviours I'm seeing and you call it out and suddenly you realize well okay yeah well there's certain lads in the group that I deeply care for but others I don't really know well if you don't really know them you can't really love them if you can't really love them the pressure comes on how do you know what you're going to do for them and I always fundamentally believe that the problem is in every dressing room and I've sat with many different teams over the years who were trying to win Heineken Cups trying to win all arms, trying to win Olympic medals trying to win World Cups and they're looking at referees and game plans and tactics and they're looking at opposition and I sit them in a circle and I say that we've you know one question to answer in the session and the question is what's the one thing that's stopping us from winning and before you answer it, I'm going to give you a clue it's not outside this dressing room in fact it's sitting in this circle right now and if we can identify it and be big enough and humble enough and vulnerable enough to say it and to name it then we can change it and if we can change it we can win anything we want to win Jerry, has there ever you you spoke about kind of um, instilling those kind of uh, beliefs and, and stuff in players? But is there ever a kind of, or is there a rugby player, a young rugby player that ever stood out to you as arriving in as almost a, the full package? Like he really impressed you the first time you talked to him? Um, well, for me, I mean, there's a couple of people that I've been lucky enough to come across who every day of my life. I do things that I've learned from them and I was meant to be their psychologist but sometimes I think that I robbed more of them than they got from me. One would be Doug Howlett. Um, For me, Doug Howlett is a guy who throughout his life uh, and rugby life always looking to improve, always looking to find out what made him better. But very quickly, by the time I met him, he'd probably taken his rugby game to an extraordinary level. And now he was looking to take his personal life to an extraordinary level. And we used to have very, great, great conversations. But they weren't always about rugby. It was, how do I become a better person? How do I become a better leader? How do I become a better husband? How do I become more consistent in who, who it is that I am? How do I live my values? And the one thing I noticed about him was, you know, once we started to connect that, he used to, you know, just his values were everywhere. It was little things like please and thank you, like looking people in the eye. He was present physically, mentally, emotionally with you when he was in that space, be that for five minutes or for 50 minutes. Um, so that was an extraordinary thing for me that you can't say I'm a kind person unless you're willing to be kind all the time. You can't say I'm a humble person unless you're willing to be humble all the time. So whether I see it, you know, at 8 o'clock in the morning in the gym or I see it at 3 o'clock in the morning in the bar having a few drinks with the lads, I'm expecting to see something because it's like a, an orange. You know, if, 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 if I take an orange and I start to squeeze it and apple juice comes out, I'm going to doubt that it's an orange. And the next time I need to get an orange in a hurry, I'm not going to go for that one. So if you can tell me, oh, I'm kind and I'm humble and I'm very consistent and I'm all of this, but I didn't do it over there because I was a bit tired, or, well, I didn't do it over there because I was with the lads, or I didn't do it over there because I had a few drinks. That's an excuse. Either you are it or you aren't. And if you are, be it all the time. If it is that important. So for me, you know, if, if somebody had of something of real value in their house, and they were leaving the house and they couldn't lock it, you would take the thing of value with you to mind it and protect it. 
if you have a value like kindness or goodness or humility that is of deep value to you, you don't believe in it behind. You don't leave it in the changing room. You don't leave it in your house. You bring it with you all the time so that you can mind it and protect it. So that was one who every day I think about. And Felix Jones was a guy that just took preparation in my eyes to a different level. He's understanding. He's again, he's humility all the time. He's, he's open-mindedness around his mental preparation, around his nutrition preparation. You know, Felix would hit you with a hundred questions nearly before your time to say hello, but it was always deep, insightful questions. And. You know, so there are players that stand out, but you know, in that monster, in that monster dressing room, when you look around, you have Paul O'Connor, Don Callahan, uh, Alan Quinn, and Felix Jones, uh, Jerry Flannery. You could just go on and on, and every single one of them brought something different. And I think that's what made Munster, you know, so special that everybody came in, and it was like it was like having a table where people wanted to have uh, have a meal, and everybody came in with every single thing they had. People didn't turn up to monster training some days or oh, I'm a bit tired or I'd give you this because it's all I have today. Everybody came into that dressing room and, and heart and soul to give everything they had to it. And it was a special mix. So in every single person, you saw something different, a different way of preparing, a different way of questioning, a different way of dealing with defeat. And for me, the great gift that I got being in monster dressing room is that I got to see all of those things. And, and then challenged myself to go and live them and, and Munster challenged me to become better at what I do they challenged me to become a better person and they challenged me to take the learnings and make sure that every time I move with a, a team in, in the future that I'm, I'm coming back better and better all the time and I suppose that's what all those great people had and that's what that Munster team had all the time that hung, that deep connection that deep commitment to each other that we care and love each other enough that we want to get better every single time and me wanting to get better is as much about me wanting you to win as it is about me wanting to win. But, you know, I'll make a commitment to you that I won't be the person that lets you down. I won't be the person that makes a bad decision. I won't be the person that gets caught out, not just because it's important to me, but because I know it's important to you. And for me, that was special. Performance psychologist Jerry Hussey, thank you very much for joining the Hard Yards. Murder, she wrote, is the perfect thing to watch during the day. You can watch the start, fall off for 40 minutes, come back, see the end, perfect. You know what I mean? You've missed nothing, really. Remember, Rod, Kev in the Kalini used to have to bring two TVs into the room, one for you for Cheltenham. <laughs> like every red-blooded male in the country, he'd be watching the horse racing, whereas I'd have a TV for myself for things like Murder, She Wrote and Houses Under the Hammer. Murder, She Wrote is the perfect thing to watch during the day. You're listening to the Hard Yards Ruby podcast on Sports Joe. Thanks for listening today. We're going to discuss the Irish Games and the Champions Cup this weekend very briefly for this. Our producer, Alan McMahon, has joined us at the table. Gents, how are you? Mm-hmm. Good. I'm, do- I'm doing well again, Pat. Your lucky charm is shite. Well, <laughs> I'm going to be talking to Jerry after this to kind of motivate myself for the, for the rest of the season. That is fair. Sorry, I mean, I love you. <laughs> I and I will not you. let you down. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I had a good week last week. You had a good week. Um, 6-1. 6-1 again. No, wait. Yeah. I thought I got four right. No, you didn't. No, get lost. No, no. Hold on. We have a steward's inquiry here, do we? Well, listen, I'll trust you because you're my teammates, but in yeah. the back of my mind, I'm questioning it. You're, you're Look, you can question it all you want at the end of the day. Um, it's just not been a good month, good two months, good three months for you, Pat, at this stage. Wow, actually, I came in here feeling confident and now hearing that I lost 6-1 again. We will have the um, um, the KPMG independent auditors go over those results. They're waiting outside the door at the minute. Yeah, exactly. Right, so uh, only yeah. three games we're running through now. Yeah, we're running through the three Champions Cup games this weekend. So um, Ulster are playing Wasps on Friday night up in Kingspan Stadium. Um, obviously, that's a huge game for Ulster. They're... Uh, if you want to go on the betting, I think they're minus six. If you fancy that, uh huh. Yeah, uh, Stephen Ferris talked me into it, um, so I'm going to go for Ulster in that one. Going to go for Ulster. Yeah. Wasps rested a few players last weekend, possibly saving them for this game. So 
Are you trying to talk me out of it? I'm, Are I'm, you trying to help me I'm here? trying to help you. <laughs> <laughs> it hasn't been a good couple of weeks. Oh, before. God. Um, yeah, I'm going to stick with Ulster. And Andy? Yeah, I'm leaning Ulster, but I'm going to go Wasps. Out of, they're going, this is a desperate situation for them. See, I didn't convince you, Pat, but I convinced Andy. Yeah, I did. Andy's just going to go against me now with everything I do for the rest of the season. <laughs> well, he just has to pick the same. He just has to pick the same ones as you, Andy. You can. Uh, no, I, I was already told there was a dick move. I will not do that. <laughs> it promise. is a move. Yeah. Uh, then we've got Leinster v Montpellier. Leinster minus six. Leinster at home to Montpellier. Montpellier also rested a lot of players last week, and Aaron Cruden didn't play. So uh, could it be seen the likes of him running out in the RDS at the weekend? Uh, I think uh, I think Leinster will win but I'm going to go yeah I'm going to go with Montpellier on that side of it but I think Leinster might just sneak it I'm going with I'm going with my gut on this and gut feeling alone says Montpellier as well so sorry Pat I'll match your bet yeah (laughs) really I remember a a few years back Montpellier came to the RDS and got three points and Leinster ran in about eight tries against them yeah Yeah. but these these, this is different again like you know this they're a lot better team anyway yeah Yeah. and and it's the first game as well it is that makes a difference with the French sides like it really does I know it seems almost like cliche about this stage but you do you know, you do as lads that you want to see them later on in the competition. The only thing for me, yeah, it's like it's a Saturday afternoon kickoff, so like that might go against them. I mean, if it was an evening kickoff, there might be a bit more kind of heat to it. But the moon is at such a position in the sky. It's like kind of like I've I've got a sense in my bones here. It's an afternoon kickoff, um, but yeah, Montpellier. Okay. But I think Lens are going to edge it. Okay, and then we've got uh, Munster playing Cast on Sunday down in Cast. We let Andy go first in this yeah. one because uh, you've been going first in them all, and That's if you like fair. Andy's reactionary here. Yeah, I've been sitting quietly in the background. Uh, Munster two point favourites in cast. Uh, I I will go with Munster on that. It's going to be very very hard, but I think we could see them win by three. Um, I'm going to go cast on that one. Yeah. Okay. Good stuff. Um, um, sure, we'll see how the weekend unfolds. And up next, we've listener questions with Raj and Fez. The Hard Yards, passionate about sport. Raj and Fez are back to answer your fan questions. We put a call out yesterday and these are the best ones we got in. Use the hashtag AskTHY on Twitter if you want to ask a question next week. First one from Shane Madigan. Who does Raj play for ten? Play at 10 for Munster this weekend? Did you enjoy that backline last week, by the way? The three three tens in the same backline? Um... I did and I didn't, but then sure, like it was, it was, um, you know, what I mean, it just shows what good detailed analysis do, did. Like Johnny had a field day with his attack kicking game. Like he knew JJ was a really number ten playing out of position. Yet we all thought he'd be a good kicking option of fifteen. But sometimes you forget that, um, you know, what I mean, if it's a smart ten, you're going to change your tactics and you're going to kick the ball as a high into the crow or into the sky in front of this guy and you're going to put him under pressure and that's exactly what Leinster did and uh, they won the, the aerial battle so in that regard it was um, it was um, you know what I mean you, you see the value of, of real 15s and, and why they are so important in any team um, who do I think will start I think um, I think Tyler will start this weekend because I think um people have short memories I think he maybe underperformed in, in the two bigger games last year against um, Saracens and Scarlets in the semi-finals but I think um, or the final against the Scarlets sorry but I think um, I think he has ownership of that jersey and I think uh, it takes a little bit more for uh, him to be relieved of that position I would think alright yeah and th- I'd love to see uh, Scannell coming back in at inside centre as well uh, and then he's a kicking option as well if it doesn't start off for, yeah, for well I think I read the comments after the game it looks before and after the game Rory Scannell I think was the one definite that's starting 12 this weekend mm, yeah but sometimes that's that's easy to say before and after when the guy at 12 maybe didn't have as good a game <laughs> as you're expecting <laughs> it's interesting when you when you kind of go um, well he's our first choice number 12 but all of a sudden the fellow we picked at 12 this week has had a cracker so uh, <laughs> yeah. we might just leave, we might just leave him on the bench <laughs> yeah the world changes fast uh, next one from Talking Leinster uh, to, to Mr Ferris which young back row in the country impresses you the most 
young back row. Yeah. So what's young? Oh, well, there we go. <laughs> under, 26, <laughs> under twenty. That's fair. Under twenty six. Um, okay, I think I think you got to look at the Leinster back row. There's just so many options there to, to choose from. Um, let me see. What age is Josh? Oh, 24. 24, yeah. Yeah, we've, we've given ourselves too much room with under 26, haven't we? <laughs> <laughs> uh, every time Josh plays, he impresses me. He doesn't really seem to have a bad game. Um, the coaches are always talking about him, always talking him up, um, and he always seems to deliver when the pressure comes on. And, and in the big games, I think he's a starter. Um, I think he's a better seven than than, uh, than Shawnee O'Brien. I think Shawnee O'Brien's got this stage in his career where he's probably not as good over the ball as he as he used to be um, and I think we've we, we seen him play number 8 a couple of weeks ago uh, for, for Leinster, you might see him in that position a little bit more uh, but he's, he's, he's certainly taken you know that 7 jersey I think Josh van der Fleer when it comes to Leinster is, is all over it and he, he's, such a, he's such a talented player um, and I think by all accounts he's got a, a good head on his shoulders he's very down to earth level headed um, no arrogance about him and uh, that goes a long way also hmm. he's had a couple of injuries yeah, so far he, though he was brilliant on the tour he was just his I think he's a guy that really thinks outside the box and has a different approach to learning and a different interest in so many ways of bettering himself and just some of the questions um, or discussions I had with him I thought this guy is unbelievably interesting as you said Fez he's it's those guys that he, you know I mean the guy who stick up for me would be Keith Earls I suppose how humble he was when he was first in and remained um, Josh Van der Fleur reminds me of a young Keith Earls really? that's high praise I am capable of giving praise to Andy. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not all. I'm not all. Give out. Give out. We need to give out. We have to find solutions. Uh, this leads on to the next one from uh, Gavin Costello. Uh, what back row? So the, what back row unit would you like to see in green in the November internationals? We'll start with Fez. Um, well, Jimmy Heaslip's obviously not going to be fit. Um, I think Jack Conan's got a. Uh, a big future ahead of him um, when it comes to like he excels when you're, you're playing against the, the lesser teams of you know the Newport Gwent Dragons or, or Cardiff or whatever he, you know he's man of the match performances week in week out against those against those uh, smaller teams so to speak but I'd like to really see him step it up when it, when he has to roll his sleeves up and he has to you know his back's against the wall so I'm really excited to see if he plays in a Leinster jersey over the next couple of weeks, how he goes. Um, but for me, let me see Ireland's back row. Um, well, Shawnee O'Brien, if he's fit, I think is a starter. Uh, he's just an incredible player. Um, seven, Josh van der Fleer for me. I think he's a new guy on the block. I think you could see him in an Ireland jersey for the next five, six, seven years regularly. Um, and number eight, there's a, there's a couple out there, but um, CJ Stander, I think with his experience, put him in at number eight for for the autumn internationals. Right, Raj, over to you. There's a name that hasn't been named in that background. Peter Romani. Correct. So this this yeah, these are good problems to have. Yeah, well, it's always the most competitive area in Irish rugby. It's the hardest positions to fill but unfortunately what will happen between now and November you'll have two fellas probably out with injury we haven't mentioned Jack Conan we haven't mentioned Dan Levy um, so I think you're absolutely like where does um, Henderson play do we put him in the row or does he a six I think he has to play in the second row Rods. we've seen how, how good he was in the Lions tour and, and when he's given a position he's told this is your job go out and do it how effective he can be and how destructive he can be in that second row position it, it is like having another back row on the pitch um, and then the last last week he, he started on, uh, at 6 for Ulster and he had a he had a half decent second half mm-hmm. but you know I just think for the benefit of Irish rugby you've you got to play this guy in the second row and stop changing it up and you know one week he's playing six for us so next week he's you know he's on the bench for Ireland and he's covering both positions I just think this guy needs to be given the opportunity to go right Paul O'Connell's now retired 
we need somebody to step in there uh, bit, yeah. uh, and take over from this guy. And um, for me, he's, he's, he's got so much potential. Um, so, yeah, it starts that I find to... fascinating is, um, but none of the back rows want to play a second row, do they? <laughs> I want to find that club level. <laughs> they, they hate it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> none of them are like, oh, I'll go in if it's best for the team, but yeah. I really don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> funny, funny you say that because I've asked Big Hendy in, in, a couple of times over the last number of years, you know, where do you prefer playing? And it's always like, oh, I don't mind. Like as long as I'm on the pitch, yeah. but I know, I, I know really he wants to play six. Like, yeah, you know? yeah. Were you yeah. ever? Did you ever play locked when you were younger? Did you? Yeah, I well, played against the All Blacks in the second row. Believe did it you? or not, Andy. Yeah. Jesus, that's not in my head at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, Paul O'Connell took a dead leg. It was in Croke Park. And I was on the bench. Jeez, he yeah. went off the pitch for with a dead leg. Yeah, he went off like the pitch with a dead. That. Yeah, but when Manoni stepped him inside the twenty-two and went the length and scored, <laughs> like that's when he decided to go off the pitch. <laughs> but yeah, we went on, and we we uh, I think it was just before half time. Tommy Bow got yellow carded yeah. for like a really. It was net from in my was opinion. It? it was never a yellow card. It was it was Richie McCall going to grab the ball and he took him in mid air or some, something, yeah, something like that. A, was it a kick or something like that? Yeah, cross field kick. Yeah, it, and he, for it, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and that that was the turning point in the game because we were actually leading up until that point. So yeah, I put, I come on in the last fifteen twenty minutes in behind John Hayes, giving it everything, <laughs> <laughs> and we were going back at the hardest game really John Hayes ever had. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure it was. <laughs> right, listen, we'll leave it there with my memory full of holes uh, to use the hashtag ask THY on Twitter if you want to ask a question next week uh, thanks to Raj Fez Pat and Jerry Hussey Alan McNan for producing and Paul Donningan on sound we'll be back next Thursday with a new podcast subscribe to it on iTunes Podcast Republic SoundCloud and every good podcast app to get us straight to your phone this has been The Hard Yards I'm Andy McGeady thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next week The Hard Yards passionate about sport go to the short side oh, it's I don't think we met before, but I'm the referee on this field, not you. Hi Rob, Zeeds here. Just want to discuss the captaincy next. He's calling. When Ring Rose comes through, oh, brilliant from Ring Rose! Ring Rose is going here. What a score! 